Hey, you're listening to Audio Crafts Conference Series. I'm Kate Montague. This was recorded at our first ever conference held in March 2016. This episode is from our sound design session, From Field to Mix. It was probably one of the more techie sessions of the day. Timothy Nicastri and Miyuki Yokiranta walked us through how to make your audio stories sound great. Miyuki produces and presents for RN's Soundproof program. She's also done a heap of other shows for RN, Radio Lab, Radio Rookies and Radio Diaries. Timothy is a radio maker and sound engineer who works across a variety of programs at RN. His work's been recognised at Third Coast, New York Festivals, the Pre-Italia and KCRW's 24-hour radio race. So basically, these guys are total guns. I love their sound-first approach to storytelling and their ideas around how to imagine entire audio worlds. There was also one slide that was total gold. It was a checklist of the sounds that you should gather when you're in the field. We've put this up on our website, along with some of the other links that they talked about. Here they are. Thank you. Thank you. Um, hello, hello. 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 There. There <laughs> Hi, everybody. Um, thanks, Kate. Thanks to um, Jess. Thanks to the entire AudioCraft team. It's... Um, Pretty killer day, actually. So uh, really, it is what it says on the box. This is a sort of step through sound design from going into the field to heading into the mix. So what we're going to do is we're just literally going to throw, show you um, some of the tools, techniques, and um, you know potentially even microphones that we would use when we're going out into the field. And uh, I'm also going to um, Timothy's going to play some great, great, fantastic extracts, and I'm going to build something for you, very simple, uh, over the next 40 minutes. And if I'm honest, it was something I prepared earlier, so I'm just going to unravel it for you. Uh, and it includes that dude who, uh, you know, f in, in the cause of audio craft, went and ate dumplings for us. So... <laughs> felt ill afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess we'll jump into it. Um, so... Uh, yeah, sound for radio, podcast for audio. Uh, I think most often uh, I hear it talked about, in my experience anyway, as a post-production concept. It's something that you think about when you get back to the studio or back to the laptop. Um, and I guess what we want to put forward pretty strongly is that we think that the, your audio is best served when you uh, bring sound into it, at least in your approach, from the moment the idea is instigated and you follow it all the way through. Um, so for me, that's pretty simple or basic process, really. A lot of it is actually just about visualising where I'm going to go and what might be in the situation. So whether that's uh, objects or people, things that I might even be able to take into the situation to... Uh, you know, use musically or to give me something back that I can play with later. Um, so I guess there's a little bit about, you know, kind of imagining what might be possible, really, and uh, obviously how you're going to capture it technically. Yeah, absolutely, for me too. If, I'm, if I've got a story in mind, um, the first thing I'm thinking about is what it's going to sound like. So, you know, whether I'm thinking about the voice elements or even the music elements or some of the atmoses, it's, it's, I'm always trying to connect them back to how can I represent them through sound. And, um, and I think every element can have an associated sound, whether it's literally, symbolically, but we can get to that a bit later. And, and for me, sound is actually, it's, it's part of, it shouldn't be an afterthought. It actually is part of your arsenal. It's part 
part of your toolkit and um, and you can wield it in any way you like, from a narrative device through to even a problem-solving tool. Um, so we're about to show you a, a checklist. It might seem like a lot initially, but we're gonna we're gonna work through it slowly. When you look at that checklist, those are, those are the kind of the boxes to tick, but I also like to think about what about the entire sound world that I'm creating? So this sort of, th I think of it very much in a sort of three-dimensional sphere and, and what are the sounds going to, what, what is, what's in there, but how are they going to talk to one another? How do you create a cohesive sense of, of an entire world, of an entire sound world? So um, we'll start, do you want to, I'm going to play you first of all the first thing that we recorded with Joel which was um, his main voice, eating dumplings. So this is WaveLab, which is a program that we use, but um, you know, it's like any audio editing software. Multi-track lists the top ones in mono, the bottom ones in stereo, slightly larger. Um, and this mix that I've made, you'll see this is just the primary voice, so just Joel uh, talking into a mono microphone. And for me, I want it to be the first thing, the kind of most intimate, the most kind of the thing that really captures your attention. So this is kind of, we'll see as it builds over time, but this is just a little sense of, of that first moment um, of the mix. I'm like a steam and pan fried kind of guy, so 12 steamed. See, I was going to get a half serve. I don't know what I'm thinking. I'm really hungry. I want to eat. I don't usually even drink Coke, but at dumplings, I feel like... <laughs> I'm having a taste of my mixture and I think I might have gone a bit too heavy on the chilli. <laughs> oh man. Hangover dumpling. That's magnificent. <laughs> you took one for the team. Go job. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously what you were hearing then is number one, core voice. Uh, narration, interviews, stand-ups. Uh, the other elements, B-roll voice, uh, can be anything from uh, stuff you record before and when you leave the, ta leave the tape rolling afterwards. It can be when you kind of force the interviewee to get up and sort of do something active that's part of it, right? You know, break them out of that interview mode and get them more into action mode. Uh, it can be when you're uh, prompting interviewees for sort of one-liners, things you might be able to slice up and use in your program creatively. Um, Wide Atmos, that big picture of uh, the, the scene that you're within, maybe without any um, explicit elements that could be distracting. You want it to be something that you can place underneath the script and it'd be uh, richening rather than distracting. Close mic spot effects, uh, you know, in this restaurant situation, yeah, anything from, uh, you know, playing with the, putting the plates down to chopsticks, uh, the frying pan, you'll hear that a little bit later. You get the drift. Stuff that you're in close with, you want it as isolated as possible so you can use it in whatever way you like. Um, mid, mid atmos, the mid moss, we're calling it. Um, the, this is atmosphere that is at that mid distance between being close for interview and far away for that overall big picture. You, look, you are actually looking for discernible elements. Uh, maybe it's a, just a small flourish of voice, a couple of words, uh, you know, something that you, you're close enough in to get something that could chime back into the story. Um, and the last one, I guess, yeah, is compositional supply, which is not drastically different from the close mic sound effects, but the difference is you're playing the environment, you're pushing it, you're, uh, you know, tinkering away on the... Um, with the chopsticks on the soy sauce bottle or, you know, you're trying to give yourself musical or compositional elements and you can then take and expand. 
So that's our list. I mean, I think in all situations, you can't really, not you can't, but it's very hard to get all of those things. And even our demo mix, I totally, fail. I totally failed on <laughs> getting the mid Atmos and I will be uh, beaten for it later. I will demonstrate that later for all of you. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think though if you aim for that stuff, um, then you know you're not going to find yourself in a situation back in the studio where you say, "Oh, I really wish I'd recorded that." That would be useful now. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's kind of it. Sort of goes back to that idea of sound being embedded from the start. If you've got if you've got this kind of ticking away in the back of your head, you know that when you return back to we call it in the box. So mixing in the box. That's the box. Um, so uh, you, you have everything that you need. And, and along those lines, when I'm out in the field, basically you've heard it a million times before, but I don't turn the recorder off. I know that that might end up with hours of tape, but it means that you're not going to miss out on something. So I turn up to my location early, pre-roll, so I start the thing a bit earlier, I make sure I'm set up. Whatever action I have to capture, I capture, and when I think it's well over, that's when I turn it off. And, um, and that way you're not missing anything, but also... You won't be caught off. You won't be caught off guard. That when something pops up that you didn't expect, you're right there and you're ready to grab it. And that often happens. Often when you're in the field, you do come across the unexpected and and go with it. It's great. I mean, it might take you somewhere that you didn't expect. It might take you a part of a story that that you didn't even know existed. So it's really about being a little bit opportunistic in those moments and actually running with wherever you are and wherever the story is taking you, and um, and capturing that sound and just being open to things evolving. So that's that's kind of the passive version of it in terms of just sitting out there and, and capturing as much as you can, following your nose, following your ears, as I like to say. I think that's my catchphrase. Um, but there's also an active version as well, as well. So you can be in that environment and you can start interacting with it. You can, um, you know, you can say you're sitting in a playground, but there's no kids there and you need the swings to go. Well, push the swings, you know. Say you're, um, say there's a, there's a bunch of people, but they're not giving you the lines that you want to get. They're not quite performing for you. Just coax them. Get them in a, you know, a place of ease, what you're comfortable with, and then just coax them to say it again. Be a bit more performative. Really bring the mood and that sound world you've, just, you've kind of crafted in your mind. Make sure that everything you're getting is to the best you can is fitting within that sound world. So one of the examples that we have where um, interaction with the environment, so an active creation of sound, is um, New Year, New Burma. Uh, yes, so... I'm just going to show you a little bit from a program called New Year, New Burma that I worked on with Sherry DeLise and Francesca Panetta. Um, so this audio example I'm about to play is really about uh, number two, B-roll voice and uh, one-liners from interview subjects, uh, close mic spot effects, and number six, compositional supply. Was this on Radio National? This was, yeah, uh, World Service and Radio National. BBC thing. World Service? Yep. Anyway, so I'll play a little bit. Think back now to the year just passed. Can you remember what you've done? The deeds, good and bad. Did you phone your parents? Feed your neighbour's cat? Now it's time to cleanse yourself, Burma, to wash away the mistakes of the past. I will wash away... The jealousy and I will wash away my irresponsibility and I will wash away my immaturity. Not bad, but you can do better theory. This New Year's a real turning point. Are you ready, Burma? Make your voices loud. It's Thinja. <laughs> 
This is high for the danger. This is high for the danger. This is high for the danger. Yeah, so within there, um, just looking at some of this B-roll voice material, you're hearing elements like... On either uh, side of that, there's, uh, you know, fantastic audio. I won't embarrass Sherry and try and play it, but of Sherry uh, and Francesca kind of coaxing interview subjects and people on the street... Uh, to give them material that they're taking a punt might end up in the program, might somehow serve the sound design. So, you know, this was on this uh, uh, concept of this performance art that's in Burma, the Thinjan. And, you know, so, yeah, uh, she's kind of getting uh, people to throw stuff at her. And that that is a real skill. That is really hard to get out of people because... You know, whatever, they're not actors, they're not being paid. You're just sort of uh, preying on their sense of fun to fool around with you a little bit. The musical elements that are a bit more down the bottom. So there were extensive music recordings that these guys had done in situ and, you know, I think at the time, you know, they could have had no idea about where it was heading or where it was going to land, but they spent the time to, to capture this stuff while they could and wait until they're sort of, you know, back in the box to see how it can fall together. And, you know, some of that stuff too is kind of Maybe we're getting into the mix process where we're sort of all there and working on it. Some of that has been just sort of dumped in that area with a little bit of other voice. There's a bit of script to come. And then, you know, you start chopping and moving things around and uh, creating something detailed in the sound world. Um, and, and obviously there's all that detailed water sound effects, buckets of water going on the ground, uh, and the core voice, obviously, uh, that's in there from the scripts. So, yeah. Um, so, sorry, just going back to our first cab off the ranks, core voice uh, narration and interviews. I, there's a question I get a lot as a sound engineer, which is, I'm going to do this interview, where should I do it? Should it be in this room? Should it be outside? And kind of how close should the mic be? And I feel like r recordings that are done, uh, interviews especially, that are done on the beach are a really good example of how case-by-case case this is, that... You know, I feel like over the years I've heard the most amazing uh, recordings that, you know, the interviewee is like right there, right present. You're hearing the detail and the layers. You're hearing waves lapping. It folds into the story beautifully. Um, and then at the other end of the scale, you end up with a sort of fizzing mess that is incredibly annoying and hard to listen to. And, you know, I mean... the. On the spec, should I record an interview at the beach? It's really hard to give that kind of advice. I think it's a little bit like trying to find a great spot in a park to read a book. It's like the sunlight's always changing and, you know, someone's going to come and sit down next to you and you might need to move a bit to get a bit of peace and quiet. But I think the trick, if there is a trick, 
is to get yourself in a position where you can hear the radio program as it's going to tape, basically. And, you know, to try and figure out if the background sound is adding something uh, complementary or, uh, you know, contextual to the audio record you're recording or whether it's a problem and you've got to get away or change mic position or just, you know, uh, rethink what you're doing. Um, so the basic thing for me is good headphones on both ears and up at a volume that you can engage with that background material. You sort of, you know, the interview voice is right here and happening right in front of you, but it is kind of loud enough that you can start to assess what's going on behind a little bit at the same time. Now, that's for me, and I know that there, well, I think anyway, there would definitely be people in the room going, you know, and I kind of hate headphones. They take me out of the relaxed conversational mode that I like to be in, and it's a bit synthetic and difficult. The only thing I would say is that I think that that is a skill, and it is something that you can get better at, certainly something that I've gotten better at over the years of being natural and honest, even while I'm doing that sort of sound uh, design, sound engineering, technical assessment of what's going on. Um, so, yeah, wear the cans. I love the cans. If I could talk anyone into wearing them, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. So we're about to get into um, Atmos's, like basically what kinds of Atmos's, how to record Atmos's. And I, at this point, I would like to um, show off our mid-moss fail. So um, <laughs> we're back in, we're back in Chinatown. We're back in the Chinese noodle shop, and um, you know this is a small little eatery. So getting that really the wide, well, getting that medium shot, which is the shot of basically. Um, you know, a kind of, you want it to be slightly closed, you want to be able, the voice to sit in it, um, nested in it, so it isn't that incredibly wide sort of sonic horizon um, take. And so within a tiny eatery, it's quite hard because the, you know, it's a small room. So, um, yeah, show, show us the eatery. So um, so that's kind of always, getting a mid-moss in that is actually quite difficult. So this is what we came up with. Which is not good. So in the end, I couldn't really pick the difference between my own wide Atmos and mid-Atmos recording. I think I actually, it was such a small place that I thought it was going to be hard to get a wide shot, so to speak, and I think I ended up turning this microphone setup around and towards the wall to get reflections rather than direct sounds, and then I, yeah, I just kind of dropped the ball on one on that list, so, you know, that's going to happen. I mean, I suppose it just shows that that listening skill development is just, it's an ongoing thing. If, if the cans are on and you, you hear where you are, hopefully you're sending things in the right direction so that the technical side falls into place. Now, that's for me. I know, I'm pretty sure anyway, there'd be people in the room saying, I hate headphones. I would much prefer to have one ear on, one ear off. I can tell if the recording's working or not, but really they take me out of my relaxed conversation mode and put me in a weird zone. I don't like what they do. But I also know that that is a skill, learning how to work with that, learning how to be more natural with cans and when you're hearing your own voice ringing around in your head. And I think it is a skill that you need to sort of take your, um, take your sound-rich radio to the next level, basically. So from there, you start to build your listening skills. And when your listening skills build, that naturally flows on to technical skills, basically. You start to 
find yourself in discussions, you know, about handling noise and wind noise and monoverse stereo and all of that stuff, it all follows, but really by build, I think you've got to build your listening skill and that sets up the, the, the technical stuff to follow, which obviously is important too. So we've, um, we've come back out from the field, we've gotten everything, we've nailed our checklist, we are expert field recorders, um, and we're coming back into the box. So that's just, actually, that's the box. You're, so you're mixing in the box. Um, and the first thing, the, you know, first thing that I think about is how do I want each sound element that I've got, how am I going to use it? And there's many ways of using it. Is it literally just a demonstration of what this person is hearing? Is it a symbolic um, use of sound? Is it a counterpoint? Does it, does it actually offer something um, that, you, that is in extra to what is actually being said through the voice? And so for me, as we've been talking about this sort of 3D sound world, uh, it happens in three dimensions. So the first dimension is obviously your timeline. So you're looking at how to get from A to Z. And how are you going to actually collate, collect, shape this, all the tape that you have? And there's, you know, again, several ways to do that. Are you going to break it down into scenes where scenes have actually happened? Are you going to break it down into places, moving from spot to spot? Are you going to move it down, move, break it down into emotional trajectories? So one moment is happy, the other is is fearful, or even if you're, you know, getting into this, to this, drilling down into this level, are you thinking about a compositional level? What is, what is the musicality doing? What is, is it a swell of sound here? And is there a kind of, a, you know, a kind of more sparser version, more sparser space over here? So that's your sort of, that's one dimension, that's your A to Z. The second dimension for me is a kind of depth of field. So what's happening in the foreground? Generally, what we do is we put the voice in the foreground, the, the primacy of the voice, the person we want to be most intimate with, the person we want to feel the most connection with. What's happening in the background? So that's some of the atmoses and burblings and sort of bigger picture stuff. And then what's happening in the midground, which is some of that spot effect stuff. So if Joel's sitting in the Chinese noodle shop, then generally we put the kind, you know, you would put the sort of sizzling pan fried dumplings right in the middle in that mid spot, but that's not you know, that's not happening. He's not sitting in the kitchen. So there's a, there's a slight kind of play that, you, that, that, that is really yours to work with as, as, as radio producers and, and, <laughs> and, um, and creating these kind of fantastical worlds that, that offer, that really let your listeners in and, and allow them to be there and actually experience that three-dimensionality of it. And the third plane, so we've got time, we've kind of got distance in this way, and the last is kind of ambient and dynamic elements. So things that sort of cut through, punch through, like spot effects, um, like uh, like the the chinking of a of a chopstick, and then and then the ambient, what sort of sits underneath there as well. So so really, we're trying to. I mean, I try to think of it as a as a three D object, and and sounds an associative thing. I mean, you're really creating. You're working with other people's imaginations to to connect with yours. You've created this thing that allows them to to recreate the world in their mind. And so, you know, a burning fire might not be a burning fire. It could be an egg sizzling, just depending on how you've contextualised it. And the, the power of sonic suggestion is, is, really, uh, is really strong. So um, be careful how you wield your power. <laughs> Shall we put the Antmos under the Chinese restaurant and see how that sort of sets it in place? I'm like a steam and pan-fried kind of guy, so... 12 steamed. See, I was going to get a half serve. I don't know what I'm thinking. I'm really hungry. I want to eat. I don't usually even drink Coke, but at dumplings, I feel like... Oh. 
I'm having a taste of my mixture, and I think I might have gone a bit too heavy on the chili. <laughs> oh man. The interesting thing with that Atmos is that um, there was a violinist that was that Timothy recorded as he approached, and um, the interview he stopped playing halfway through. So in cutting off the interview, you could hear the violin coming in and out. And so in order to not make that be a really jarring experience for the listener, I've actually taken a clean recording of the violinist and put that through the entire. Um, nugget, this tiny little piece, so that so that there's a continuity of the world that you're creating, so that you're not, you know, the world isn't kind of shattering and recreating every time that um, Joel's it. voice comes in. By blurring, yeah, yeah, there's, there's <laughs> many violins in this piece. <laughs> so I'll show you um, the next layer which I added. So we've got, first of all, the, the voice, then we've got Atmos, and then this is that kind of the B-roll voice, so the off-the-cuff stuff that Joel's been recording, just hanging out, chatting to people, that isn't him directly talking to the microphone. Chinatown Noodle Restaurant. Oh, wait, we've got our dumplings. Steamed pork buns. Xiaolongbao. Pan-fried pork buns. Xinjiangbao. I can't pronounce that word. Jiang, Xing, Xinjiang. Xinjiang, lamb buns. terrible. Beifang, uh, Beijing Trimbing, Spring Pancake Wrap. I'm like a steam and pan fried kind of guy, so 12 steams. See, I was going to get a half, so I don't know what I'm thinking. I'm really hungry. I want to eat. Hi. Can we get a serve of the steam dumplings? I don't usually even drink Coke, but at dumplings, I feel like... Can I get a can of Coke as well? I'm having a taste of my mixture and I think I might have gone a bit too heavy on the chili. <laughs> oh man. Hangover dumplings. That's magnificent. Now I kind of trick that I learned off uh, you know, some great radio makers who are definitely here. There are opportunities occasionally, I think, to collapse the checklist a bit into not single recordings but a few recordings. I think those opportunities are rare and you certainly wouldn't bank on it. But um, I feel like there's a, there's a skateboarding program that I worked on uh, for Miyuki's program, Soundproof, and I feel like it's where I've gotten as close to that as I will probably for a little while. So. swoosh through the bowl and the wind from the guy and then the grind you know guys were barely grinding back then but then you know you hit the tile the and the drain always was covered by like a little piece of cardboard and so you hear that that really hollow sound and and it'll I'll never forget just that modern beautiful swooshing sound of a, of a skateboard uh, going through a swimming, empty swimming pool. It, it, it just was like magic to me.
physics didn't seem to make sense at first. I mean, horizontal writing, sure. But up onto vertical, I mean, how are these guys sticking to the wall? But the feeling of G-force cornering, like a Gravitron on wheels almost. Being up there, rattling over the pool tiles and even eventually hitting that lip of the pool. And crazy. I mean, once they figured that was possible, there wasn't much looking back. should admit that he actually was skating as he recorded that. <laughs> so that uh, spatialization is like... Yeah, that was a hard risk assessment to do. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, just one thing that we thought we should talk about too is that the, the sound effects sort of resources that we end up using. Now, obviously, uh, the ABC has a certain amount of resources. We have a library, there's sound effects CDs, and, uh, you know, there's hard drives... Uh, floating around spaces on the server. But I still feel like the core of what I end up working on does kind of come from a uh, personal archive and one that's in other radio makers' hands as well, one that gets built up on weekends, basically, to people's partners, you know, dismay. Um, And as well, there is so many, you know, uh, online resources nowadays that are Creative Commons and available. Um, I think that, you know, you've got all sorts of different people putting stuff on. You've got field recordists who are doing the highest level recordings down to people with their iPhones. But the point is it's available and can be used because you certainly, no matter what happens, you nearly always get back to the studio and go, oh, yeah, I could use a little bit extra of this. And unless it's a very unique situation, usually a bit of extra recording ends up going on uh, to keep fleshing things out, or you're pulling from a sound effects resource. So, yeah, we're gonna. Um, I've got a list of all that stuff that I use, like you know, Creative Commons, Free Music Archives, Free Sound, la la la, la a whole bunch of links that we're gonna send over to the organisers um, to share with you guys afterwards. So, um, so yeah, just continuing with the in the box uh, part of of this. I mean, I think understanding sound as a structural. Uh, lifesaver tool, basically, especially when you're working on, you know, say, field-based documentary-ish or uh, journalistic stuff that, you know, if you're, if you're pounding really hard with the information and you kind of know that the listener just needs to take a beat, they need a bit of respite if they're going to soak everything up and, uh, you know, you just need to give them an opportunity to do that. I mean, your sound recordings kind of have to have the opportunity to just... Uh, come to the fore for a moment, you know, maybe it's just three or four seconds, but it's enough to just take that pause and move on. I mean, maybe uh, there can be a geographic change uh, structurally that you're trying to pull off. It looks great on paper where you just finish up one interviewee and kick in with another, but, you know, in audio it just doesn't quite work. So that little bit of B-roll material uh, from, you know, our second point in the checklist of B-roll voice, you're wandering around, sort of half lost, trying to find the place, Knock, knock. I mean, you know, there's more creative versions, but you get the drift. It becomes the glue that can really, you know, sort of save your backside pretty much. Um, I think at the creative end, you know, serendipity is a huge thing, certainly something I learned uh, working on the night air with, uh, you know, John Jacobs is 
you know, you just get in and you just start throwing voice and music material, sound effects or whatever, you start throwing them at those tracks and then just start working. Start working with that voice, start chopping things up, but with the sound material there. And those moments that you discover that you just, you know, you would have never arranged for that certain timing between uh, something musical, something in the voice and something sound effects wise, but it just all comes together and, you know, hey, you win in that situation. <laughs> um, and I think that, yeah, that just leads to a musicality in your programming that can add that other dimension, really. Uh, you know, I think music can do stuff uh, to us that literal meaning can't. And so, you know, if you can infuse your program, not, not necessarily with a music track, but with musical material and it takes on a musical quality, uh, that can be, you know, super effective and sort of blur the lines, basically, between sound and music. So um, I'll show you. Thank you very much. Muki's been very helpful and got this up for me. Um, so this is from a, uh, another Radio National program on a poet who is from Western Sydney, out near Campbelltown. Uh, he passed away. Um, and, yeah, this is a, from a documentary on him. I feel like it illustrates something that, I feel like is a big strength in Australian audio making and certainly something I try to pick up on and uh, take forward in my own work, which is kind of folding the story in on itself context-wise uh, through the sound. So I'll play a little bit. I can't really say like stuff about Howard's domestic violence and alcoholism. And he told me he remembers hiding under the kitchen table and he was really frightened um, I think like upstairs there were a lot of bad memories for him to is the senseless entertained that chained me to this wingless body 18 year pater monster jawbreaker cheek smashing bloodletting bruised man Freighter beast chased me into the endless vaults of imagination and battered my mother into the shellless tortoise of today, hiding under a ram horn. Ma flap yon. He's coming up the cellar stairs. He's crawling up the stairs. He's crashing up the stairs. Crash come. Crash come. Crash come. He's collapsed on the stairs. Ma flap yon. There's a faceless man looking for his night in our drain pipe. Ma flap yon. And my father awakens, sleep racked, racked, with clenched fists thanks to amber blood, hotel life, a whole lot of hell life, kick a bit of piece of shit. Um, so that recording, the guts of it uh, was, you know, interview material that, uh, with people who knew this guy or had a relationship with him, certain amount of archival material and uh, the reads of his poetry. Um, so uh, I went and did some field recordings in the places where he spent his childhood with, you know, his father, you know, running the bar. Now, I suppose the listener doesn't necessarily know that this guy, no, I suppose, I mean, you, I know the listener doesn't know that this guy you know, I was just ordering a drink or whatever. You know, he turned out to be a mate of the guys and he knew him and he was telling me all these stories and, um, uh, you know, 
you know, I, I took some small piece of music, an ambient piece of music, and I was thinking of that moment when, uh, you know, at the end of the night, they're just tipping the milk crates of bottles into the bin and try and wove those things together. Um, I suppose that by bringing that real-world stuff in, that authenticity, the listener doesn't know it, but I think it has an effect throughout the program. You don't always have the opportunity to go to the actual places, but I think that thing of, yeah, folding the story in on its own context through the sound is a really powerful thing. I think we do it well here, and I just think we should continue to do it. I can show you a really poor example of it, which is what I made. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to just show you the final layer of the mix, which basically completes our little um, Joel Werner dumpling eating exercise. Uh, And this is exactly what Timothy was talking about, that um, recreation of stuff using the sounds that you have, which isn't always the case. I mean, I just, for the the sake of this, I used the material that we had to make kind of music beds, but but you can go and just put music tracks in there or find different ways to, to add a musicality to it. But for the sake of, you know, extreme challenge radio making in very short time, um, <laughs> I did this instead. Uh, so this is the final layer of um, of Joel's mix, and um, yeah. Chinatown Noodle Restaurant. Oh wait, we put our dumplings. Steamed pork buns. Xiaolongbao. Pan fried pork buns. Xinjiangbao. I can't pronounce that word. Jiang Xing. Uh, Xinjiang kabao. Xinjiang lamb oh, buns. Terrible. I feel ashamed. Beifang. Uh, Beijing Chunbing, spring pancake wrap. I'm like a steam and pan fried kind of guy, so 12 steams. See, I was going to get a half serve. I don't know what I'm thinking. I'm really hungry. I want to eat. Hi. Can we get a serve of the steam dumplings? I don't usually even drink Coke, but at dumplings, I feel like. Can I get a can of Coke as well? I'm having a taste of my mixture and I think I might have gone a bit too heavy on the chilli. <laughs> oh man. Hangover dumplings. That's magnificent. What else? Yeah, that's all. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I guess really last point for me is just to say that I think with all this talk and uh, looking at complex montages that just have track after track after track, to just remind uh, us and remind myself very much that there's huge power in pushing all that away and returning to a single voice. It can almost become the most critical decision in this kind of uh, sound-rich program making is when are you going to back it all off and give uh, give something some focus? Because yeah, when you knock all that away, it can have a huge effect on how people, you know, take in the words or whether they're taking in a whole scene. Um, so, you know, I think it's just kind of about... You know, it's not every day that something as complex as, like, that New Year, New Burma montage is required. I think actually a lot of the time it's not required. There's lots of stories that don't suit that. But 
stories sometimes evolve in post-production. In fact, I feel like they evolve a lot. And so when they do, you want to be ready with those recordings. You want to know where they are and you want to know that you can, you know, create that sort of immersive world if that becomes appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can overcook the mix. Um, you can actually you can actually ruin something by by adding too much into it. So knowing when is the right point is is you know is, is kind of intuitive. But what I often do is I take a mix that I think is done. I put it aside for a couple of days. I come back with fresh ears. And if when listening to it, I'm working, I'm working to get through it. Something's not something's not right. Um, and if to me there is a sound that feels out of place, feels in extra, feels like it's it's not sort of it's not actually talking to the material itself, then it probably doesn't belong there. Um, and so and I should also add that there's a huge value in silence. You know, we're talking about all this sort of stuff, but uh, but a well-placed silence is way more powerful than um, you know 50 tracks. Uh, and so. Yeah, just knowing when to when to play with the musicality, the sound, and the silence is a is a is an art form too. And I, I said this earlier. I'll say it again. Timothy, when I when we first started talking about this, said that you know in your life you have kind of five audio cliches to play with in your career. So if you're gonna if you five go chances. five chances. <laughs> so if you're gonna go down an audio cliche, then um, make sure you kind of um, you know you hit you 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 find a different approach. You find a different kind of sonic version of it. So some take-homes? Uh, yeah, I guess uh, take-homes from, from us, if there are any, is, uh, yeah, you know, embed sound in your production process from the second the light bulb goes on. Uh, wear your headphones, that one's from me. Uh, and, uh, yeah, really just be a student with list, uh, of the listening uh, that's going on as you make the radio and, yeah, check in with the checklist maybe. Um, yeah, and for me, exactly, immersion, 3D worlds, you know, like we, I, I think of painting with sound. That's the way that I, that I work. Um, and, and also go down the rabbit hole, you know, follow the unexpected and see where it leads you. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I think we're doing some questions. I was just wondering if you guys had any tips like in the field. I find often if I'm chatting to someone beforehand, they're great and getting you know, really smooth and then as soon as you pull out a big microphone and cans and everything, people kind of really clamp up and the atmosphere of it changes. I just wonder if you guys have any tips for that. Um, I, well, it depends. If it's somebody that I know I'm trying to talk to, I try to kind of establish a relationship with them beforehand. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to establish trust and engender a kind of warmth there. And so when, when, when that stuff finally does come out, it's that the relationship's established and that they know that I'm not there to, you know, pull them apart or critique them. Um, and so, so if, if you're able to do that, then that's, a, that's, that's really, you know, it's key in terms of getting that personal quality, really trying to capture them as opposed to their, their stage presence. Um, if, if you're on the street and you're just man on the street sort of stuff, uh, you know, it's kind of that idea where just, just work with it. You know, unfortunately, you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to find out, you've got to figure out where your ethical line is in terms of um, balancing, asking people to perform, um, creating sound and that potentially doesn't exist normally. But, but I think pro provocation, you know, repetition, um, you know, it's not, it's not an un, uh, a kind of elegant process at times. You know, sometimes you do need to just push people a little bit to the extent that you and they ultimately are comfortable. 
I think I walk into the situation with the gear on a lot of the time. So uh, there's not there's not a okay now we'll get serious. It's just they kind of it's nice to meet you and you've already got cans on and this ridiculous thing in your hand. Um, I find that helps. Or if it's not going well, just stopping and telling them I need some more energy from you. Like well, what happened? Like or, you know I guess you get better at sort of cracking a joke and that's person to person what's going to work but yeah kind of breaking things up if you know it's not heading in the right direction or getting them up and say let's let's go for a walk let's change the environment um yeah those are the kind of things that i would do i mean really they're just born out of desperation i know exactly how you feel <laughs> um hi i just had a question how many how much notes do you take as you do your field recordings so like if you let it go for, run for three to five minutes, would you then take notes as it went trying to mark where some of the things you, you thought might be important might be? Or would you just, do you, do you feel as value then in listening back to it later, removed from it and finding the good bits then? In terms of streamlining time, perhaps? Um, I, my technique often, because I often feel like recordings, I suppose you're talking about going down the rabbit hole, I often feel like my recordings, I'm interviewing somebody and then it evolves into a sound recording and then I'm doing spot effects, and then the, I'm like, oh, I've been recording for like 40 minutes here. Um, so I do voice idents at the end of my tapes to say that was, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I thought there was something good in that area. And then also, too, so, you know, we have, we're so lucky to have a visual representation of sound. Waveform. Uh, you know, that, yeah. yeah. You can spot stuff, you know, that's of interest, or you can see voice. So I guess that's mostly what I use as my two... Yeah, voice idents basically, and so when you put it up, you're like, oh, that's me, you know, like, and you start to actually recognise your own wave. Can you see your voice? I know what my voice <laughs> looks see, like when, when I'm actually looking at it in waveform. Um, so that, and also if, I mean, not three to five minutes, but if it is an hour and I go, oh, at 22 minutes, I need to get to that straight away, maybe I will write a scrappy note down, but for, for yeah, for, for shorter recordings, probably not, but when you start getting into, you know, long form, absolutely. Hi. Um, the examples that you showed sound like ones that you've um, recorded and produced yourselves, but could you talk a little bit about the collaborative space where you work with somebody else and how you communicate what you're imagining and actualise that together and navigate through, you know, an emerging narrative that might take you down rabbit holes but with someone else? Yeah, I think that's really hard because I think um, I was just in Jay's session over lunch and she talked about imagining things before you actually actually get to the, the editing process and pulling them together. And I think I do the same in that when I've, I've got something in my head and it's, and it's hard to, to shake really when, when you've sort of crafted a story, you've thought of how, how it might end even and certainly where it travels in between. But, um, but ultimately I think collaboration is, is better you know, that, it, that actually two brains on something that is, that is looking at the same material um, that can approximate it, approach it and, and like pull it apart in different ways uh, ultimately opens up the material more because it means there's, there's more brains on it, there's more, there's more ears and ultimately I think becomes more listenable. It actually offers people more entrance points into it. So I think it's a gentle process of... of of negotiation, but also respecting each other's artistics, artistic sort of sensibilities, aesthetics, approaches. Um, but also, um, I don't know, I think I only work 
Well, no, that's not right. But I try to work with people that I, I think um, offers some antagonism, you know, that offers some friction, that, that you know, that kind of... I don't really want to tell... I don't want to work with someone that's just going to agree with me the whole time. Nothing good comes of that. So if you can find that balance between appreciating what the other person brings but then also trying to, you know, work with their ideas, it's a bit of a wafty answer, but it's a, it's a, hard, it's a hard question. I think that... Um Presenting something in a notional state is really, really helpful. I think like when I was talking about New Year, New Burma, um, like, yeah, that, that was Sherry and myself in a room and Francesca working from overseas. And the two of them, before I became a part of it in this last two weeks, had done a huge amount of work to filter it down. But that final sort of bit of execution, that's like a group effort, basically. But they had placed enough material to where I could, I could pick up on what they were going for. It wasn't fully delivered or fully realised, but I could get the sense of it. And I feel like that is what... Working as a sound engineer at Radio National, which is totally a unique situation, but that thing of presenting people with enough material uh, so that they can hear it, they can hear it and reimagine it and push it and take it. I feel like that's vital. The ones that stump me is when it's Monday morning, first day of a mix, and there's a bunch of voice and there's nothing else, and the person goes like, oh, I thought we'd do a bit of this or that. And I, I also think that there are amazing sound designers who can do that. They can just take a few words and turn it into something magical. For me, I just need a few breadcrumbs I feel like those breadcrumbs, everyone can do it these days. So that's the, sorry for a basketball moment, but that's the alley-oop as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the AudioCraft conference series. If you'd like to hear more of our sessions, head over to our website, audiocraft.com.au and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at AudioCraftConf and tell us your sound recording tips. We'd love to hear them. This series was produced by Miles Martignoni and Jessica Binneth.